That is Lenny Kravitz, and we are Journey Church International. We are so glad that you are here for this brand new series that we're starting called Love Revolution. So a few weeks ago, I'm at my son's baseball game, uh, and Christian is playing against a charter school from inner city Kansas City, and I saw something happen that I'd never seen happen before uh, in a baseball game, and I've watched a lot of baseball games. I've taken part in a lot of baseball games. Uh, The coach came out of the dugout to make a pitching change. If you're not familiar with the game of baseball, there's a guy who stands on a hill in the middle, and he throws the ball to a guy who's trying to hit it, and when they're hitting it a lot or he can't throw strikes, the coach will come and he'll switch. So the coach comes out of the dugout. He walks to the mound and as he walks to the mound everyone on the field I've seen the infield gather but like literally all nine guys on the field come together at the mound and while the coach is talking to the pitcher they all take off their gloves and they're changing gloves with each other and I remember sitting there thinking that like that I've never seen that happen before that's weird I didn't think deeply on it I just thought I've never seen that happen before so the game goes on they bring in a new pitcher and after a while he's not doing very good so the coach comes back out The whole team comes to the mound again. They're taking out the pitcher. Everyone's trading gloves. So I asked one of the parents from the other team sitting beside me. I said, what are they, what are they doing? Why, why are they all taking off their gloves? Um, And she said, well, the team has a set of gloves. Like they have one glove for every position. None of the kids have their own gloves. The team has a set of gloves, one for every position. So every time a kid switches positions, they have to switch gloves. And I just thought in my spirit, I thought that like that shouldn't happen. Like in the year 2017 in Kansas City, that shouldn't like there should not be one kid in Kansas City that wants to play baseball that doesn't have a baseball glove that shouldn't have to happen and as the game went on you know I kind of got to the point in my mind where I quit thinking that shouldn't have to happen and I started thinking you know there's, there's got to be ways for that not to happen like somebody has to be able to come up with an idea so that doesn't have to happen and I thought about that for a little bit and by the time the game ended and I was driving home my mindset had shifted to this that, like that's too bad that that has to happen I hope somebody does something about it. And I want to be really honest with you. I felt really good for feeling bad. Like I actually felt spiritual for feeling bad. I mean, I was driving home thinking, I bet I was the only one who even noticed that. I bet I'm the only one who even cared. I bet I'm the only one who even for a minute thought about doing something. And I was patting myself on the back because I felt good for feeling bad, but I did nothing about it. And you know, it's interesting as we look on to today's sermon notes, it's interesting how Christians often feel good that we feel bad when people have needs because it makes us feel caring. Like Christians are, we, we live in the world of feeling good when we feel bad because we think that just feeling bad is actually having a heart that cares. But as I drove home from the ball game that day, I remembered what the Bible says about feeling like you care about something and actually caring about something. And James chapter 2 began to roll through my head. You don't have to turn to it. It's not our key text today. But as I thought about how spiritual I felt for feeling good because I felt bad, I remembered James, his words in my head. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims that has faith? But has no deeds. Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food or a baseball glove. And one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. Like I hope someone does this, does something about it. But you don't do anything about their physical needs. Like what good is it? What good is it to feel bad if you don't do anything about it? James would say it does no good at all. John, who was one of Jesus' friends who would write a few books in the New Testament, went a step further and he said this in 1 John three eighteen: Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
Like, let's quit talking about how much we love people. Let's quit talking about how much we care about things. Let's quit talking about how much need we notice. And let's just start doing something. You've heard that crazy kind of silly question, ask if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around to hear it, does it make a noise? If a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, does it really make a noise? You know, there's a question you can ask about church that's similar. If a church exists in a community, but it doesn't exist for that community, like, is it really a church? Like, if a church exists in a community, but they don't exist for that community, is it really a church? You know, one of the pillars of our church, one of our five core beliefs is a belief of community impact. We said from the very beginning, we wanted to be a church that was for our community, not just in our community. And as an organization for five years, that's been true. We've given hundreds of thousands of dollars away locally to our community, to people who have needs. We've given away thousands of Christmas gifts at Christmas time to kids in our community who have needs. We've given away hundreds of backpacks filled with school supplies. We every year stock food pantries and clothing closets and participate in Thanksgiving drives. I mean, we are a church that has been for our community, but we have not yet unleashed the entire force of our congregation on our community at one time yet. And I'm excited for the opportunity to do that. That's what this next three weeks is about. And that's what this next three weeks points to. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to find the spirit of this love revolution, the mindset that helps us understand what we can do in this community so that we can represent Jesus well as we begin the next three weeks of study called Love Revolution. And here's what you need to understand about every message that's ever given from this stage. Every, anytime we put together a series at our church, like the last one we just came through, Family Strong, we always have two goals. The first is inspiration. We want to inspire people with some new truth to get excited about living in a different and a better way because of Jesus. Every series we hope has an element of inspiration, but we hope every series has an element of implementation. Like we want to inspire people, not just to feel a certain way, but to live a certain way. We want people to activate their faith. It's why another one of our five kind of pillars, our core beliefs is spiritual growth. We believe everyone always has a next step. So we always hope we inspire people and they implement things. But I want to be honest, if in this series especially, we inspire you to feel good about feeling bad, but no one implements anything, like we have failed. Like we have swung and missed as a church, we get a zero for this series. If we inspire you to feel good about feeling bad, but then we don't do anything, we have completely and utterly failed in what we're trying to see happen because our church, as you hear it said every Sunday, exists to see people far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. We don't just want to connect people to God. We want to connect people to God in a way that sends them back out and connects them to the world. So I'm going to give you up front the goals of this series. How do we know whether or not we win? Well, here's the big goals of this series. Number one, when you look at the love revolution action goals, implementation goals, we're praying for 100% love week participation. From June 10 to June 16, we're calling that at our church love week. We are asking everyone in our congregation to do something. If you go to our church, either serve or give, or both, but my goal, if you're here and you're listening, my goal is for you to do something. We win if everyone does something. And we've got this massive goal that I don't know if it can be met, but I think if God moves, it will. Whereas a church, we hope to serve 5,000 hours of community service in one week 
in our community here in Lee Summit and then with some organizations we're serving in inner city Kansas City. 5,000 hours of community service in six calendar days. Our church telling our community, we're not just here in our community, we're here for the community. We've been meeting for almost a year with everyone who serves our community and they are ready for us to help them. Acts chapter 3 shows us the spirit of a love revolution. What does it look like? What is the mindset? We pick up in Acts 3 verse 1. I'm going to go through verse 10. And here's what we read that inspires us to do something. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It was 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this passage, I get instant relief. Like I read this passage and I actually, the way that I read it and see it, I read this passage and I feel like I'm off the hook for the needs of the world because I don't know if you realize it, but the initial request of the man, do you have any money, is met with a very simple no, I don't. Like I read this passage and I think, okay, good, God isn't expecting me as a Christian to meet the needs of the whole world. And as I look at this passage, I see that the spirit of a love revolution kind of begins with a big thought. And here's the big thought, number one. No one can do everything. Like nobody can do everything. You know, you might read this and think, boy, I wish I could do something like Peter did. But Peter initially had to come to terms with what he could not do so he could figure out what he could do. This love revolution began with a need that couldn't be met. I mean, like almost in a rude way. Let's read it and then think about it for a minute. Acts chapter 3, verses 3 through 6 The man was there begging when he saw Peter and John about to enter. He asked him for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. I mean, think about what this looks like at the outset. This thought that Peter said, listen, I can't do everything you need me to do. The guy's sitting on the temple steps. He's shaking his cup of money, saying, do you, do you have any money? And Peter stops and says, look at me. And the guy looks at him and he says, no. Like can, like, can you imagine how that would feel if, you know, we've all kind of seen this play out, right? We've been walking on the streets in a major city. We've been driving downtown and seeing people standing on the curb, holding their sign. Can you imagine drawing their attention to you just to tell them no? But that's what Peter did. The guy said, do you have any money? And Peter said, actually, look right at me. Now that I've got your attention, no. It began with a need that couldn't be met because nobody can do everything. I mean, I can see this picture unfolding, not just because I've lived through it here in America, but because I've been here in Israel. When you go to Israel today, the south-facing wall of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is still 2,000 years old, and you can see some arches carved into the face of the South Temple Wall that they believe used to house the gates called Beautiful. 
You can walk up steps that have been restored. And I can picture in my mind where this man was sitting as the people behind them would visit the mikvah where they would get their ritual cleansing. And then they would walk up the steps through these archways and into the temple where they could go pray three times a day at the times of prayer for the Orthodox Jewish people. And here was this man whose friends came and sat him at the doorway to the church to find help. You say, why would they do that? Because here is the reality of our world. People far from God correctly believe that Christians are supposed to help people. The thought was this, if you can just get me near the church... Someone going in there will help me. If you can just get me close enough to people who love God, they will notice me. If you can just get me within proximity of being able to talk to someone who calls himself a Christian, they will not ignore my needs because people who love God love people. People who are going to pray, they care about people like me. So this beggar daily, three times a day, sat on the steps because he thought people who really love God care about people like me. People far from God, they believe correctly that churches and people who go to churches are supposed to help people like them. But Peter knew he couldn't provide everything. I said, do you have any money? Peter said, no, like actually, I actually can't help meet every need that you have. I can't do everything for everyone. Moses, who was a spiritual leader, had the same thought in Numbers chapter 11. He told God, I can't lead all the people. I can't do everything that I feel like you're asking me to do. Elijah in 1 Kings 19 had this same spiritual thought. God, I don't think I can do everything that you're asking me to do. Jonah had this thought all throughout the book of Jonah. God, I don't think I can do everything that needs to be done. But we see it most clearly in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we meet Jesus talking with his friends who were called the disciples. And Jesus had been teaching a crowd of people that had been following him around for days. And at the end of one of the days of teaching, Jesus said, man, if we send these people home, like they may not make it. It's a long journey in the hot, dry desert of the Middle East. We need to feed these people before we send them home. So he turned to one of his disciples who was with him, Philip. And he said, let's figure out how to feed these people. And Philip looked at Jesus and said, you're crazy. Like, Nobody could do this. I I can't do everything. I see the needs of the world, but often I don't respond just because I don't even know where to start. The conversation went like this. John, one of Jesus' friends who was there that day, heard the conversation and he recorded it. So when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? He asked him this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. He looked at Jesus and said, nobody could do what you're asking. Like you're looking at all the people, you're seeing all the need, and there's no way we could possibly do what's really needed. You know, when we look at the crowd, we lose courage. Like when we look at the big need... We lose courage. Philip looked at 5,000 men at once. Many of them had their wife and children with them. Many scholars believe there were 14 to 20,000 people that Jesus fed, not 5,000 people. And Philip looked at the crowd and said, we can't help these people. There's too many. The need is too big. I understand the heart, but we can't help these people. But then Andrew steps in. Andrew overheard Jesus and Peter talking, or Jesus and Philip talking, And it says in verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And he said, well, hang on. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves 
and two small fish. By the way, a small barley loaf in the original language that this was written in means crackers. Small fish means like more sardines than like a fish in a lake. Like this was not a basket of food. This was a Lunchable. Like if you can picture a Lunchable, (laughs) Jesus says, how are we going to feed all these people? And Andrew's like, well... Like I got like I got this Oscar Mayer deal with a little mint in the back. I got this lunchable, but how far is it going to go among so many? It's interesting what perspective does. Philip looked at the crowd and said, "We can't do anything for anyone." And when we look at the crowd, we lose courage. But Andrew looked at just one individual, and when we look at an individual, we gain inspiration. Andrew came to Jesus with this thought. I don't know how we can feed everyone, but I know how we can feed one. I'm not sure how we can take care of everyone, but I have found the answer for one. And I want you to hear this truth. Jesus would feed 5,000 because somebody believed he could feed one. It took one person believing that they could do something, not everything, but something for Jesus then to do everything. Say, Christian, do you think our church could really serve 5,000 hours of community service in a week. I'm not sure, but I know the numbers are there. I know we have more than 1,000 adults who come to our church at least twice a month. And I know if every adult in our church, not including their kids, gave one half day of one day of their year, all at the same time, our church could serve 5,000 hours of community service in this environment. Like, You know, if you think about the big number, no, we can't do that. But do I think one person at our church could give one morning or afternoon? I really do. And if one person will do one thing for Jesus, it's funny how Jesus multiplies that to do all the things that are needed to be done. But no one can do everything. I mean, a love revolution begins with plainly stating, do you have any money? No, I actually cannot meet that financial need. A love revolution begins by plainly stating nobody can do everything, but number two, everybody can do something. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. So what did Peter say in verse six? Peter says, silver, gold, I don't have. I don't don't have any money. I cannot meet that need. But what I do have, I'm gonna give to you. I don't have everything that everyone needs, but what I do have someone needs, and I'm gonna help you with that. You know, on September 4th of last year, Mother Teresa who was a Catholic nun for nearly 50 years in the slums of Calcutta, India, was declared a saint by Pope Francis in the Catholic Church because twice she had been praying for and taking care of someone who was told they were going to die and they ended up living and they said she was able to be used in a miraculous event and now they call her a saint. She's famous not just for her service, but for her simple little reminders that everyone can do something. Like she's famous for saying, regardless of how the world views me, I can help one person. One of her most famous quotes I've put on your sermon notes because I want you to actually have it to keep. It was Mother Teresa who said, people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people are going to accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people might cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people are going to be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it might never be enough. Give your best anyway. It's like, just do what you can. Someone asked Mother Teresa, they sent an AP reporter to her after her ministry became kind of world famous. 
And he watched Mother Teresa's day after day. She went and took care of these orphans and single moms in the streets of Calcutta. And he asked her this question after watching her work for a week. He said, how can you feel like you're doing anything when there's still so much that needs to be done? Like, how can you go to bed at night feeling like you've done anything when it looks like everything still has to be done? And her most famous quote came as an answer to that question. She said, I never worry about numbers. I help one person at a time, and I always start with the person nearest to me. We never worry about numbers. I just help one person at a time, and I always start with the person who's nearest to me. You know, Mother Teresa has inspired many because she's helped people understand that everyone has the ability to help one. And many can be inspired by that ability. You can help one. Maybe you're in here today and you say, I can help one. I can do one thing. I can give one half of one day of one year. to If that really will help, I can do something. So many can be inspired by that. But there are a lot more like me. People who grew up in church. There are a lot more people who have called themselves Christians almost their entire life who need to be challenged in their theology to help at all. Say, what do you mean by that challenged in their theology? The word theology means a knowledge of God. It's what we know of God. It's who we know God to be. It's how we know God to act. It's it's the knowledge of how we believe we're supposed to follow God. And there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians. They've been trying to follow Jesus all their life. And serving other people just means nothing to them. I would challenge that theology that you can be a Christian your entire life and never serve anyone or care about anyone, that is an incorrect understanding of God. A few weeks ago, a guy in our church sent me a clip of a pastor I've got great respect for. His name's Francis Chan. He's written some books that have challenged my soul deeply to love God and live for God in a different manner. And when he sent it to me, I watched it and I thought, you know what? Like every Christian in the world needs to be challenged by this thought. So watch this two-minute clip and see if it applies to you today. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says, right? Most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. It, it, Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, It's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, you, you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said? And talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. 
Start making disciples. So some of us need to be challenged in our theology because we know and talk about and teach things that we don't do. And I could tell those of you who grew up in church by how many of you laughed about the Greek joke because you understand what that means. I've got all the original languages memorized, but I still don't do it. So what are some key challenge questions for Love Revolution? Well, how about this one? Do you put more time spiritually into learning or doing? So how do I answer that question? Just do the math. Like today is a time of learning, one hour, one, one hour in church. Okay, so you got one hour this week learning. How much time will you spend doing anything spiritually for other people? How about question number two? Do you determine the strength of your faith by what you know or what you do? Have you graduated from every class of BSF the last 10 years, but not served anyone in our community or in our world for even 10 minutes? Do you feel like maybe you're always the, the most mature Christian in any room that you ever sit in because you know more than everyone else? Is the strength of your faith determined by a knowledge or an action? Have you memorized and studied commands in Scripture that you've never considered carrying out personally? As a pastor, let me ask this question to myself now for you to hear. Christian, have you memorized and studied and preached on commands in Scripture that you've never considered carrying out personally? Yes, I have. Why? Because I hadn't had my theology challenged. The Christianity is not all about learning. So you know how to care. It's about doing. So you actually begin to impact people. You realize the church of Jesus became known for what they did. Not what they knew, right? Like the church of Jesus became known for what they did, not what they knew. You say, can you prove that? I actually can. In a really, really simple way. Today we're reading chapter 3. What's the book that we're reading chapter 3 of? Anybody? One more time. What's the book? Why is it called that? If you have the 1611 original authorized King James Version and you turn to the front of the book of Acts... You'd realize that the title of the book of Acts, the official title of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. You have four books in the New Testament written about the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have one book to summarize about 50 years of church. And the writer said, how do we summarize, how do we summarize church and Christianity in one word? And they said, Acts. The church is known by what they do. Interesting that this book's not called theology, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, theology. Interesting that this book's not called preaching, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, preaching. Why do I go to church? Because of the preaching. It's not called worship, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, worship. I love the church's music. It's not called Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, kids ministry. You know, church is known for the kids' ministry. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, auditorium. We got the coolest, biggest sound lights auditorium in the community. That's what our church is known for. No, it's Acts. You got Jesus, and then his followers were known for their acts, for their actions. I wonder what our community knows our church by. When people talk about our church, is it our acts? Or is it anything else? Because if it's anything else, we've missed the heart of the gospel it's not Matthew Mark Luke John theology it's not Matthew Mark Luke John truth it's not Matthew Mark Luke John wisdom it's Matthew Mark Luke John acts 50 years to describe the church what do we learn about them man they got a lot of acts that they're doing for people it's our actions 
Jesus, his life and teaching, his church, and their actions. The reality is this, the world's in pretty bad shape. I mean, just turn on the news or don't turn off the news notifications on your phone. The world's in pretty bad shape. We can make a difference. So can we do everything? No, we can't do everything. But we can do something. It's actually interesting to contemplate. What if every Christian did something? Could we do everything? We get close. You know, the last global census, two billion people on planet Earth identified themselves as Christians, followers of Jesus. Two billion. There's just over seven billion people on planet Earth, which means this. If every Christian just followed Jesus, if every Christian loved and cared for three and a half people, actually the world, the Christians could almost do everything in the world. Like if every Christian just made sure three and a half people had food, had clothing, had education, had health care. Like if every Christian just said, I'll help with three and a half people, we actually might get close to doing everything. But we can't make that decision. We're not in charge of two billion. We're in charge of one. So one can't do everything. But one can do something. First John 3, 8 is a pretty powerful verse, isn't it? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Quit talking about how much you care and start helping. Quit talking about how to care and start helping. Quit talking about who to care about and just start helping. Just do something. Can't do everything. Got any money? Nope. But what I do have, I can give you. And Peter said, in the name of Jesus... And this man's life was changed forever. Listen, church, we can't do everything, but we can do something. Because everybody doing just a little with Jesus adds up to a lot. One person not seeing the crowd, but seeing an individual and thinking, I can help one person. One person helping one person with Jesus can do a lot. So we're going to ask you to help us make a difference in the world this love week. If you have a bulletin, I want you to take this these two forms out of your bulletin. Open it right now. If you're following along on the app, there is a a line at the bottom of your sermon notes on your app that I think says Love Week. It's in blue. Just click it. It's going to take you to this form. I've already told you my goal. I've already told you what I've been praying for, that 100% of our people will do something. On June 10 through 16, we've been meeting with ministry partners all over the city all year long getting ready for this. We need your help. We need you to check a box, say, yeah, I want to make a difference. I believe everyone does. Say, how do I make a difference? Some of you will not be able to complete this today. You'll have three weeks to complete it because you need to look at your calendar. But you can choose a day, you can choose a time because every day of this week, at all times of the day, we have things going on that you can serve with. Choose a time, choose a day, and on the back, choose an opportunity. What do you want to do? What can you and your family go do together? We've got summer lunch programs, serve projects, community cleanups, donations, sorting and distribution, emergency responders, appreciation meal. Every day of our love week, we're going to be serving lunch to the more than 600 emergency responders, fire departments, police stations, EMS workers in our community, opening our building so they can come eat here and then taking meals to the office staff every day of this week to say thank you. Some of you say, you know what, just put me where you need me. If that would be you, that would be awesome. Just check that box. I'll volunteer wherever you're needed. If you'd be willing to be a team leader and say, hey, give me the names of five or six people. I'll get them there, and I'll be the first one there and the last one to leave. That'd be great. 
and then give us your t-shirt size. Say, wait a minute, you trying to bribe me to serve with a t-shirt? If it works, yes, we're trying to bribe you to serve with a t-shirt. I'd pay if I had enough money because I believe that this is what the church does, acts. Acts. Acts of the followers is what they're known by. And some of you already looked at this and said, oh, Christian, I'm out of town that week. I, I can't help. Yeah, you can. Inside your bulletin is this Love Week donation drive. For people who can't serve, everyone can give. So we're looking for baseball equipment. Why? Because God told me, Christian, don't act like you care if you don't act. So we've partnered with the Urban Youth Academy in downtown Kansas City, and we're, I'm hoping, going to raise hundreds of cleats and gloves and bats and pants and batting helmets, catcher's gear. We're going to give that to the Urban Youth Academy, and they're going to use it to develop inner city baseball and distribute it to schools as, it has, as they have need down there. We're going to work with the Urban Scholastic Center and giving sports shoes to young men who'd like to play sports at their school. They use sports to keep them eligible in their academics and focus moving forward. We're going to work with Coldwater and Prodeo, organizations in Lee Summit that help with teens and children with food drive. We're going to work with Hope House and Rachel's House, one of those for battered women, one of those for unwed mothers, helping to love them with baby items. We're going to work with the Marion Hope House, which is an organization in Lee Summit that works with special needs children's children that are in need with household items, um, clothing items school supplies. Everyone can do something. If you're in here today and you didn't get a bulletin, you need to get one as you leave. This isn't on the app, but you can grab a bulletin as you need and do what Danielle and I did. Just go say, I got that, I got that, I got that, I got that. Don't have a garage sale, have a ministry. Don't make the final $3 off of it. Give it to someone who has nothing. Give it to someone who it will be priceless for them. Because if we will all do what we can do Jesus somehow fills in the gaps for the rest and here's what you need to understand for our church this is not a campaign to compete to complete this is not a box that we want to serve and some kind of campaign that makes us feel good as a church so we can say hey we serve our community this is not a campaign to complete it's a character to develop this is not one week of our year this is having a heart change that says as a Christian I do something I help this is going to be the catalyst hopefully to a lifestyle not a memory but we need your help if everyone would do something what God could do through our church in this community if everyone would do something man so many people could be blessed we can't do everything we can do something in the name of Jesus let's do it let's pray together